Support for the Source podcast comes from UT Health San Antonio, South Texas' largest academic research institution, where what is discovered in its labs translates into life-changing patient care. More at groundbreakingresearch.org. From the John L. Santico studio, this is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla, in for David Martin Davies. 2023 was a great year for films and going to the cinema. Barbie and Oppenheimer dominated the summer, while The Holdovers, Poor Things, and Killers of the Flower Moon stole the show in the later part of the year. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and the development of the world's first nuclear weapons as part of the Manhattan Project. But first, Killers of the Flower Moon is Martin Scorsese's latest film that tells a true story of the Osage Nation murders committed by white settlers in the early 1900s. It stars Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Robert De Niro. The Reign of Terror, as it was known, began in the early 1920s after the Osage people became rich from oil, gas, and other minerals found in Osage County. These minerals were held in trust by the United States government but were still tribally owned. Royalties for these minerals were paid to the Osage and were known as head rights. These head rights could be inherited by non-Osages, which became the motive for white settlers to marry and murder Osage women. In Killers of the Flower Moon, Lily Gladstone portrays Molly Burkhart, an Osage woman whose family starts mysteriously dying after she marries a white man named Ernest Burkhart, portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio. In a very sinister move, Ernest and his uncle William Hale, portrayed by Robert De Niro, work with other white men to make the deaths of the Osage look like the result of suicides, accidents, and mysterious illnesses. In the scene we're about to hear, Ernest and his uncle William are panicked because their hitman failed to make the murder of an Osage man look like suicide. It's supposed to be a suicide, you dumbbell. You didn't tell him to leave the gun. I don't know why I told him to leave the gun. I told him him to leave the gun. Just like you told him, kid. I don't know why he didn't. I don't know why. I told him just like you told him. You told him to do it in the front of the head, and why did he do it in the back of the head? It's so simple. The front is the front, the back is the back. He has to make it look like he done himself. It just looks like murder. It's not supposed to be that way. You hear? I told him the front of the head. I said the front of the head, just like this, just like you told me. I, I promise you, I promise you, I swear on my children. No, 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 no. I swear on my children, King. And don't swear on your children. Make you look foolish. Well, I ain't. I ain't foolish because I've done it. Today, we're looking at why the Oscar-nominated film is making waves and why the lead actress, Lily Gladstone, is also making history as a first Oscar-nominated indigenous person for Best Actress. Gladstone herself is from the Blackfeet Nation and recently made history at the Golden Globes this year by becoming the first indigenous person to win a Golden Globe. Joining us today to talk about the significance of this is Karen Brulliard. She is a Washington Post national reporter covering the American West. Her latest article is Lily Gladstone Made History, The Blackfeet Nation Found a Champion. And Karen, welcome to The Source. I'm happy to have you on today to talk about this. Thank you. So before we continue, I did want to play Lily Gladstone's speech after she won her Golden Globe. Let's give it a listen. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> 
I love everyone in this room right now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I don't have words. I, um, I just spoke a bit of Blackfeet language, the beautiful community nation that raised me, that encouraged me to keep going, keep doing this. Um, I'm here with my mom, <laughs> who, um, even though she's not Blackfeet, worked tirelessly to get our language into our classroom, so I had a Blackfeet language teacher growing up. Um, <laughs> and, um, Edward North Pagan. Um, this award belongs to, and it's, I, I hope I don't get counted down too fast because this is an historic one. Um, I'm so grateful that I can speak even a little bit of my language, which I'm not fluent in up here, because in this business, um, native actors used to speak their lines in English, and then the sound mixers would run them backwards to accomplish native languages on camera. Well, let's talk about Lily Gladstone's historic Golden Globes win. She's become the first indigenous person to win a Golden Globe for Best Actress. And in her speech, her first words were in her Blackfoot language. How significant is that, especially in a historically white awards show like the Golden Globes? Well, it's very historic. I mean, again, as you said, she was the first indigenous person to win that award. And there was a very interesting, um, I should have looked at it before we spoke, research paper from UCLA, I think earlier this year, just about the really low representation of Native Americans in Hollywood over even recent years. Just, you know, very few speaking roles have gone to Native Americans. And it's even sort of more extreme for women, for female Native actresses. This was a obviously a historic win, but it was also very meaningful, according to lots of people I spoke to, across what People in this country, you know, natives often call Indian country, just sort of the widespread community of Native Americans who are not used to seeing, you know, not only natives on screen, but winning awards. So in her Golden Globe speech, Lily said something that I and I think a lot of other people didn't realize that in the movie business, Native actors used to recite their lines in English and the sound mixers would run them backwards so that way it can sound like their idea of a Native language. I mean, I just stopped in my tracks when I heard that. And to think about the level of disregard and disrespect for these Native languages. I mean, I don't know if I'm just, maybe I was just ignorant, but what was your reaction to hearing that? Was that your first time hearing that? No, I agree. That was astonishing to me. And as you said, so disrespectful, but also just so lazy, you know, just to sort of neither take the time to find out how the words might have been spoken, but also to, you know, assume that to be fine with the idea that English played backwards sounds like, you know, I guess this what they consider gibberish native language to sound like. You know, I really appreciated in her speech when she said that she wasn't fluent in Blackfoot, but she was going to speak it anyway and kind of represent the Blackfoot nation. I thought that was pretty amazing. Could you talk more about that? After um, the Golden Globe, she was in a press conference and was asked more about why she spoke that language. And she said that she had been taught a phrase by her good friend, Robert Hall, who she said something about this person leading a language revitalization on the Blackfeet Nation and that nerves had made her forget the phrase that she had wanted to say. 
Well, I'm really glad that Lily has initiated so many important conversations just by speaking her language, just like this one that we're having right now. And we're going to take a break right here, but we'll continue our conversation with Karen Bruliard on her article, Lily Gladstone Made History, The Blackfeet Nation Found a Champion, when we get back from our break. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio, and we'll be right back. I'm Tanya Mosley. And I'm Juana Summers. People collect all sorts of things. Sports memorabilia, stamps and antique lamps. If you've collected a few classic cars over the years and you also love public radio, consider this. Donate it to this station and it could mean hundreds of dollars in support. Donate online at tpr.careasy.org or call 877-486-1227. Welcome back to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla. We're talking to Washington Post reporter Karen Bruliard about her article on indigenous actress Lily Gladstone. Gladstone is a lead actress in Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. She portrays an Osage woman whose family keeps getting murdered by the white men living on her land. Gladstone herself is part of the Blackfeet Nation and made her community proud when she won a Golden Globe for the movie last month. Now she's making history again as a first Indigenous actress to be nominated for an Oscar in the lead actress category. Now, Karen, could you talk more about the process of getting in touch with the Blackfeet people? I'm sure they were all excited to talk about Lily and her achievements and what this means for them. Could you tell me more about that? So I reached out to a few people who I'd seen sort of just talking about, Blackfeet people who I'd seen talking about this on, on social media, but also reached out to Robert Hall, who, as it turns out, is the director of Blackfeet Native American Studies in the Browning Public Schools. And Browning is the largest town on the Blackfeet Reservation, which is in northwest Montana, you know, up near the Canadian border to the east of Glacier National Park. It's the largest, but it's very small. It's, I think, it's about a thousand people. And I reached out to Robert, who was immediately excited and, and willing to speak with me. And as it turns out, I, I had been following him for, for quite some time on Twitter and didn't know it. He has a pretty big presence on Twitter, but it does not go by his own name on Twitter. Um, but he, he tweets about all sorts of things um, and is, is actually quite funny. So I spoke to him and um, learned about his efforts to bring the language back into the public schools there. And... There has been language education in, in schools there for some time in both public schools and Blackfeet Community College in Browning, as well as there's a private immersion school that's operated for a long time. But he's really, in the past six years, pushed to expand it in the public schools and um, has introduced a writing system, which is fairly new, which was developed by a Canadian mentor of his and, and 
the Blackfeet tribe in Montana is linguistically related and connected to three tribal nations in Montana that are grouped under what's called the Blackfoot Confederacy. So anyway, I spoke to Robert and then decided I wanted to come up and, and see what he was doing in action and talk to people about both about the the revitalization efforts that are going on, but also about what it means to them to see this person who everybody there seems to know, at least by like one degree of separation, Lily Gladstone, see her her success and her sort of consistent references to her heritage and to her language. I think there's another moment in your article, your article, Lily Gladstone Made History, The Blackfeet Nation Found a Champion. There's a part in your story where you talk about this little boy, Rents Champ, that I think also demonstrates a sort of pride from the Blackfeet Nation. And so this little boy, Rents Champ, he's a third grader living on the reservation. And he sees Lily go up on this stage and give her Golden Globe speech. And his reaction to Lily speaking Blackfeet in her speech is, wow, she did that in front of New Yorkers and everything. Could you talk more about that moment and the impact of a child hearing their native language being spoken on such a big stage? Yeah, well, I I asked Robert about that when I first spoke to him by phone, what he was seeing and hearing just day to day about this. And I'd spoken to him probably a week after the Golden Globes. And he said, you know, the impact is, is really profound. Like, I already have people, teachers and more students excited about the language. I have lots of people reaching out to me about the program. And then he said, you know, and even this eight-year-old kid came up to me in the hallway and said that he had seen her, Lily, speak Blackfeet. He had understood her and he had translated for his mom. And which I thought was just such a sweet and really profound, you know, anecdote. So when I was there, we went to several classrooms, elementary school, high school, in the schools there. And I hadn't asked Robert, you know, introduced me to that little boy. But Robert said, this is Rents. This is the boy I was telling you about. And yeah, he was just a sweet and enthusiastic kid. The first thing he said to me was his Indian name. All the kids have Indian names, um, either given that given to them by family or if they haven't been given to them by family in the schools an elder will come in and give the kids an indian name and the parents approve and it's there's often some sort of like ceremony around it but he had an indian name um and i'm forgetting now how to say it in blackfoot but he said it means mystery mischief or bravery and i was named after my grandfather who escaped who tried to escape three times from a boarding school in pennsylvania he was just a very sort of animated little kid. And and I asked him about watching the Golden Globes. And that's when he said he was amazed to see this glamorous woman on TV speaking a language he understood. And as he said, and I think it's quoted in the article, he said, this could help our language go up because it's been going down. Well, in your story, you write that it's estimated only a few dozen people are fluent in Blackfeet on the reservation in Montana. And most of them are elderly. Could you explain to us how many students are active in the K through eight Blackfeet immersion program? Uh, yeah, I I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, about almost 200 kids participate in what's known as the immersion program. It's not immersion in the sense that it's all day long, all they're speaking is Blackfoot, but they have a significant amount of Blackfoot throughout the day, or at least half the day, and they have teachers who know the language and and are you know focused on teaching them. All students in the district receive exposure to the language and culture in some way. So a Blackfoot history 
classes required for high school graduation. Um, and then there are sort of culture classes offered in art and, and design. And so this program has grown in the past six years since Robert Hall was hired. And apparently there's more and more interest in waiting lists. This is partly because a lot of the kids' parents maybe learned words here and there. Or they're, you know, they've, they've sort of, the, the language has been lost and, and the the only people, according to, you know, Robert and others I spoke to, who really speak like fluently, like that was what they spoke as their first tongue, um, are a handful of elderly people. And then you have people like Robert who learned it later, who decided, you know, he went to the University of Montana and started studying Arapaho, a different um, native language, and really just got taken with the idea of learning it. Um, and so he has devoted himself to it. So he says he's not fluent. I can't judge that, but I, I suspect he's like extremely good at it. Um, and so there are maybe a few dozen people in that um, situation. But one of the reasons, you know, people, the language has been lost or is not lost entirely, but is certainly in danger of being lost is because of this legacy of uh, boarding schools or residential schools, as they're called in Canada, um, where, you know, Native children were forced to attend often religious schools and punished for speaking their native languages. And it was just extremely discouraged. And those languages suffered as a result. So the idea is to revitalize this language, to to bring it back and to, again, recognize the importance. And to bring it back to Lily Gladstone, I think something I heard over and over was just that her getting up there and speaking it in front of, you know, this room full of Hollywood, you know, elites and and the glitterati and, you know, in front of in front of all these people. And, and as as Ren said, in front of New Yorkans is is a validation that the language is important and that it should be learned and, and efforts to suppress it didn't entirely work and can be reversed. And right, as you asked about, you know, this is the, the reservation. It's it's a tough place. Like there's a lot of high levels of poverty. It's very rural. It's very remote. High levels of poverty, pretty extreme weather. You know, when I was there, it was 15 below zero. And that was pretty normal. It had been like 40 below zero a few days before. And opioids are a big problem. The tribe two years ago or last year, I think, declared a state of emergency because of opioid deaths fentanyl deaths, I believe, specifically. You know, I think uh, this program is one point of great pride and optimism among a lot of the people I spoke to. So kind of getting back to the movie Killers of the Flower Moon, we see how easy it is for the white people in the movie to murder these indigenous women without much thought. And this really speaks to, I mean, this is based on a true story on the Osage murders that happened in the 1920s. And there's a line by one of the characters that says something like, you're more likely to get someone charged for kicking a dog than you are for murdering an indigenous person. And you know, I think that speaks to real life. There are so many unsolved cases of missing indigenous people that these communities have been trying to bring awareness to and people are not paying attention. People choose not to pay attention because as we see in the movie, there are, you know, these lives are disregarded. And so did the Blackfeet Nation, I'm curious, express any sort of reaction to this movie? I know. It's not an easy movie to watch, but did you talk to them at all about this movie? 
Yeah, some, and I not super deeply. Um, you know, I spoke to some teenagers who'd seen it, who said, shrugged and said, "Yeah, it was good," you know. And others like Robert was just full of praise for it, which I thought was very interesting because I know there's been some criticism of the movie for yes, you know, there's representation of native actors and the story clearly shows the natives as victims and yet still centers a white man or white men at, at the heart of the story. Robert, at least for one, saw it very differently. He saw it as Martin Scorsese deciding, I can't you know, tell a story from the perspective of Native people. I'm a white man, but I can, you know, showcase the evil carried out by these white men and still make Native characters vivid and and intelligent. And that was his view. And then, you know, I spoke to others who said it was yet another example of sort of the heartbreaking history that that many of them are aware of. Um, what, one thing that was interesting to me, I spoke to... Uh, you know, this man, young man named Dakota Running Crane, who's quoted in the story, who um, didn't know Lily, although he did say this was an example of like everyone sort of knowing Lily. He said, yeah, when I was like 15, we lived in Missoula for a while because my mom was in school there. And when there were these Blackfeet sort of like community picnics. And one time I saw Lily. <laughs> and so it's like everybody has has some connection. But he was saying, you know, we are so rural that movies are a really big deal for us. You know, we, we watch all the movies, we have social engagements planned around the movies. And um, he had gone to see Killers of the Flower Moon two hours away in Great Falls, Montana. He said he and his family dressed up and they drove there to see it. And that was, you know, important to them. And what are some of the ways that Lily Gladstone's tribe, the Blackfeet Nation, is honoring her back home or if you could provide any insight into how they're preparing for her potential Oscars win next month in March. Um, I don't know if I have the most up-to-date information. When I spoke to a member of the Tribal Business Council, which is like the government, um, she said, you know, as soon as the Golden Globe was won, they immediately started talking about ways they could honor her. Um, I don't know if they've come to a decision yet. I think there was some sense that, well, she's pretty busy now, and ideally we'd like her to be here if we do this, so... Um, yeah, maybe it's like a post awards season situation. Um, but there were, you know, there there are discussions. I think that the school district is planning to have a watch party at the high school and lots of other people I spoke to talked about having watch parties in their homes. And just one last question based off of your interactions with the Blackfeet people, based off of the conversations that you've had with them, what do you think it'll mean if Lily wins that Oscar in March? What will that mean for the community? Well, I should say that everyone I spoke to there is like, she's winning, period. So there's, I don't think there's any doubt um, among them or hope, at least. Um, I think I, I think it'll just be more validation. You know, it's the Golden Globes are one thing. The Oscars are are another level. So, you know, just a, another level of excitement and pride, I think. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I appreciate it, Karin. Yeah, thank you. Have a good weekend. Karin Bruliard is a reporter for The Washington Post. Her latest article is Lily Gladstone Made History. The Blackfeet Nation Found a Champion. When we get back from the break, we'll talk about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and why it's sparking conversation in the United States and around the world. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla. We'll be right back. Hey! 